You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents Network of Podcasts. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and joining me today is Susie Favor Hamilton, a former three-time Olympian for women's distance running. Once America's track and field sweetheart, Favor Hamilton seemed to have it all, but her life soon spiraled out of control in the wake of the intense world of competitive running and a diagnosis of manic depression. A wife and a mother, Favor Hamilton has struggled to reclaim her life. She is a sought-after public speaker addressing eating disorders, mental illness, and the struggles that young athletes face, as well as a yoga instructor. She lives in Los Angeles, California, and Madison, Wisconsin, and she joins me today to talk about her new book, Fast Girl, published by Day Street Books. Welcome, Susie, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, thank you, thank you very much for writing this book. I, I mean, it had to have been difficult. Uh, you, you've had some very exciting parts of your life, but some very harrowing parts. And I kind of want to jump right into the first question that I had when reading the book, and that is, why is it still so difficult to recognize mental illness? It's just something, there's a stigma that's attached with it. So if you're mentally ill... Maybe they feel like they're not capable that they'll get hired at that job, or people will look at you different, like you're not capable, maybe you're a little lesser. You know, it's it's interesting that our society judges mental illness different than cancer. Yeah. They're both diseases. Yeah. And it's interesting that you use that word capable, because in your early life, that feeling of being not just capable... But extraordinary was right. so important, and, and right. you learned to need that so much that the idea of losing that must have just been terrifying. It was. And, you know, now looking back, I see signs of bipolar, mental illness. I see with my eating disorder. I see with this thought of having to be the best and, you know, seeing myself as this Olympic champion would make everything perfect. And maybe those were part of the bipolar symptoms, having these grandiose feelings, which is a sign of bipolar, nonstop energy. Yeah, you do describe these days um, in your life as the call girl where you just, you do all of this stuff and then you still can't go to sleep. It's just right. this crazy manic day. And I know that your your brother suffered from manic depression and unfortunately killed himself. So even right. you, it, it's just hard to understand. Like, did was there never a tiny glimmer of, oh, this just isn't right? You know, I, I know that things weren't right, that why did it seem that all the other girls were enjoying running or... They didn't seem to be having so much pressure as I felt at the starting line. I just wanted it over with. And I didn't feel like these girls were feeling the same way. I guess, you know, looking back, I see little glimpses of it. Um, my obsessive compulsiveness. Um, you know, I'm able to look now yeah. into my brother's behavior yeah. and see similarities between the two of us. I mean, it's just that wasn't that long ago, and to 
to realize that even with your brother's illness, that the family couldn't talk about it, that they couldn't, that it wasn't something that they would also be educated about to say, okay, now this leads you to have a higher possible incidence of this type of illness. So we got to, you know, really be watchful. And I think, you know, growing up in small town America, in a very small town in Wisconsin, back then everybody tried to look like the perfect family, like the Brady Bunch. And I, I can only imagine the stigma my parents would have felt if they talked about this openly you know, was our family going to get stigmatized? And they tried to shelter me. They tried to protect me from his behavior. But, you know, also looking back, I can see that as a possibility of why, mm-hmm. you know, shelter the family from this. Mm-hmm. Don't open up where the the key is getting the family involved. So is that some of the effort that you make when working with young athletes to sort of identify these these warning signs and then teach the families how to how to address it um you can see that extreme energy that perfectionist um type of personality that could possibly bring out the bipolar you see it happening a lot in college when kids have gotten straight A's and they've been the perfect child and they're so incredibly driven and something just isn't going right in their life and it manifests, and you know we're seeing suicides, yeah, um, more and more. And if we could just recognize these signs of mental illness, mm-hmm. I know lives can be saved, and have the education. And it's happening. We're seeing it more and more in colleges where they're starting to talk about bipolar, and more and more people are being diagnosed. And now we have better medications yeah. than we did. So things are improving, which is great, but it can never stop improving. Yeah. So that's, you know, the book, as some parts are very, very hard to read and very, very hard for me to write, I did it to show the behaviors Yeah. because the behavior can't be dismissed. And you talk about how for you, sex was like your drug. So tell us just briefly about the du- this dual life that, that you led in, 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 at, at sort of at the peak of, of this craziness. Right. And I, I can't remember, how, how, long did the, how long did it go on? Well, I started from the threesome with my husband to a progression of six months before I went full-blown into escorting. And then I was an escort for a year before I was caught. Um, the escorting brought the high, and mm-hmm. this other personality developed. I I was aware that something was changing in me personality-wise because I enjoyed this other person rather than Susie. I enjoyed being Kelly because she was a strong, powerful woman who can take control, make her own decisions. But I didn't see the out-of-control part of you her. You didn't. Did not. It, did and not, is that... Is that common? Yes. That you just can't, that the, that the patient, that the person and, can't recognize it? Yeah. With bipolar, you don't have time at all to think before you do. And I, I talk about this a lot. You just do it. There, uh, My doctor was saying there's no ceiling where most people would stop at a certain level. You just keep taking it higher and higher because that high feels so good. 
I describe the high, and in my book I talk about how sparkly I felt. And sparkly. Mm. Sparkly, and the lights are so bright, and, and you feel so grand walking into a room, like everybody's staring at you. Yeah, you did say that a lot. Yeah. You really see, you felt that every time, didn't you? Yes, and you feel like you're so important. I mean, everybody has these moments where they feel really important, but this is grandiose thinking. Um, again, the energy was endless. The sleeping wasn't good. My eating wasn't good. I basically was not eating. I, yeah. I wasn't hungry because you would think with this go, 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 you would be hungry, but loss of appetite. Um, I just, you know, it's, it's hard now. I don't want to go back to that state because of the destruction that it caused my family, myself. It was going to kill me. And, but why would anybody want to be taken out of the state yeah. of feeling so good? You feel incredible to be brought down to a normal level. And what is normal? Yeah. I, I, I say I, I'm settled now, meaning I'm content. I don't need to go there. But do I want that feeling? Yeah, especially I want that feeling when I'm having a low, a low day. You really want it. You really yeah. want that feeling. So that's the struggle that I go through. And speaking out during those low days is important. But unfortunately, it's hard to do. Yeah. That's what I'm learning now in my lows. I can talk about it now, but actually doing it is really hard to do. Yeah. So it is a struggle, especially, you know, somebody who is bipolar like myself. How can they speak out during those lows? Yeah. If we only knew how to do it, that would be a great place to start saving lives. That's where we need the family around yeah. us to watch us. Not that we're children and we have to be watched over. We have an illness. So they need to recognize those behaviors where we don't see it. So that's that's crucial. That's why it takes a team, and that's why my husband has gotten behind my illness so much yeah. in supporting me, watching out for me. And he's at times he'll point out, you know what, you're getting a little manic right now. Um, as much as I hate hearing that, I really hate that. Of it's course. almost like you're a child, and I'm telling you. But when he says it, I have time to process it and go, yeah, he's probably right. I, I realized I was doing that. Even though I don't want it. It's and like then do you stubborn. have sort of an action, a, a breathing thing that you do? Is there something that you consistently do to try to settle that? For me, I find just going and laying down, just having my space, doing the deep breathing is the best thing. Sometimes when I am feeling a little too manic, I do rely on Xanax, but I never abuse that drug because it is so addicting. So I, I have an allotment of 30 a month, so only one a day. Um, and unfortunately, this last month, with the building of the book coming out sure. and now the release, I've had to take more. But I know that's temporary, and I tell that with – I communicate with my doctors about that. So Now, you mentioned your husband – and I think maybe the next book that you should write <laughs> is a book about a successful marriage, <laughs> just know, knowing what you both have been through. And I guess when I was thinking about this, I mean, you, you were completely 100% honest with him throughout this entire yes. life. So Not 100% honest, okay, but, okay. But, but, but honest, but I didn't tell him 
everything the destructive part. Okay. I didn't. I didn't see it as destructive. Now, what do you consider that to be, though? Yes, because I didn't see it as destructive, but I knew he wouldn't approve. Okay. So I didn't personally see anything wrong. Um, But he would have really, really done something to pull me out, and I knew I didn't want You knew that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you didn't want the hook. So, So what has he told you, or what do you know? Why... Was he so motivated to endure? Because it, it sounds really, really painful for the right. whole family. Absolutely. And and it's so interesting that he was motivated to endure. Why do you think that is? Well, I know he knew who I really was. Yeah. So early on, when I was diagnosed, he read the book, The Unquiet Mind. And it brought to him a realization of what she did was the destructive behavior. Who she really is is a great person who is suffering from a disease. And so he was able to distinguish the two. It takes a very, 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 very strong person to be able to look at this act and not ruin our life. Because and, yeah, this not is, even take it personally. You yeah, know, to, exactly. You know, there's so much that he could have taken personally. And finding out, educating yourself about the illness, he realized that my intent was never, ever meant to hurt anybody. I lost maternal instinct. I lost the fact that I was a mother. I lost the fact that I was a wife. When I was in that state, it didn't occur to me. When I went back to Wisconsin, I then realized, yeah, I'm a mother, I'm a wife, but I'm struggling. Yeah. And I this world is too hard. Out of it. This world is just too hard to live in. So if I go back to that manic world, everything can go away. And I can be, I can be high. I can be Kelly, that sparkly, yeah. glamorous woman who has everything in the world. She has all the money. She has the sex. She has the power. It was intoxicating. Now, how old was your daughter when you got the diagnosis? She was seven. And how old is she now? She is ten now. Well, actually, she was more eight. Um, in between okay. um, when I got the diagnosis. And my husband, what's amazing is when I was going through the recovery, I was in Malibu, California with his parents, which was amazing for them to take me in. Yes. But my husband told them, he said, do me one thing, and I ask you one thing ever, support her, even though you don't understand Yeah, you don't understand any it. Of Just this. follow my lead. Just trust me and follow and s- stay with us and support her. So when I was... Goosebumps. I know. When I was in my recovery, he kept telling my daughter, this was a way he could approach the mental illness with her. Your mommy's brain isn't working right. You know that's not your mommy. And your mommy's brain is like at 70% right now. Where your brain is, you know, a brain isn't 100% perfect. Maybe her brain's at 95 and Mark's at 95. We're all at 95. But your mom can't come home until she's at 85%. So a couple months pass, and they're visiting me every two two weeks. But after a couple months, he said to her, you know, your mommy's brain is at 80%. And she just lit up. She was like... This is the greatest thing. It, my mommy's getting better, and I'll get to see her on a permanent yeah. basis yeah. as soon as she's at 85 or 90. So for a child, you know, you're, you're demonstrating hope. Yeah. 
and, and resilience. Yeah, that yeah. your mommy's trying so hard right to get back to, to you. get better, and yeah. she wants to be with you more than anything. So it was such an incredible way I thought to explain to a child. Yeah, that's that is. Very and nice. she knew that there was destructive. Uh, bad behavior. But she didn't know the details. She didn't know the details yet. Slowly as it progressed and she was appropriate, she's nine years old going on 10, She's we, she knows what happened. She knows that the sex occurred with the different men and she understands that the illness is what drove her mom to do this. Okay. We've already had the complete sex talk and even more because she's had questions on what she's read. You know, she's read that your mom's a prostitute. Yeah, so, yeah, how much has, has so, sort of filtered down to her? Yeah, so she sees these things. You can't tell a child. You can't go on the Internet and protect her forever. Yeah. So when she would ask me um, recently, she asked me that, what's a slut? What's a prostitute? And I explained it to her. Um, what each of these terms are. And I said a slut, unfortunately, is a terrible term that a woman is given if she has sex with different men. And not not just me right. with my disease, other women who decide to choose this. Right. And yet the man has no name. He's the guy who's looked upon as way to go. Um, so I just describe these terms to her. I want her to always know she can come to me for anything. I never have the reaction, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you just said that. Don't ever say that word yeah. again. I'll never do that. I'll always explain. And that's a part of my husband, who he is and who he was when I met him. That's so lovely. Now, how did the idea of writing a book come about? came about extremely. Extremely early, way too early. This happened right when I was outed. I mean, pretty much the next day. Oh, people came to you? And they said- were coming to me, and I felt I had to validate myself. Um, I had to get redemption immediately. I was in no state to even think about writing a book. Um, but my mind wanted to write a book. I needed to explain. That would have been a completely awful, terrible book about sex because I really didn't see... Yeah, you didn't understand what, what was happening. You hadn't gotten to the end of it, right? right you hadn't passed right. all the way through. Oh, my gosh. I'm just... I haven't even been diagnosed completely as being bipolar. They're just asking me questions, right. and the psychiatrist hasn't actually given me this diagnosis. He said, oh, you might be bipolar, but shortly after that, once I opened up more, he was able to diagnose me. Mm-hmm. And did you worked with a writing partner? What what was it? What was the process in terms of writing? Because I'm always curious. About well, that. I never ended up writing that book right, right. away. Right. So, yeah. so referring to this. book. Yeah. So so how know, that that was two think, years ago and yeah. So it was about a year after that that the book started to really develop. Um, Sarah Tomlinson, who was the writer, um, amazing. I mean, she had 500 pages of notes that she had to condense for this book. Because she had sat with you and and just gotten it all out of your head. She became therapy for me. And now that the book is done, I've told Sarah, can we sit down and talk about you? I want to find out about you. You know everything about me. How did she react to that? She's like, that would be great. Because I feel like, (laughs) you know, it was so selfish to just always talk about me. I look back on that. But now being healthy, 
no, I, I see that. And I'm, I'm like, let's, we're going to get to lunch uh, probably next week and just talk about all of this yeah. and talk about how she is doing and yeah. what projects she's working on. Now, I'm sure your husband read, read drafts, but did you, yes. did you show your, your family prior to publication? What was that process you like? You know, that was difficult. It has been hard enough on my family, and I stressed to them, I never did this in any intent to hurt you. I never had any intent of this story being released. Um, so I just prayed that they would understand eventually. Um, but the thing is, everybody has to come to their own understanding. I think I was trying to force it a yeah. little bit too much. Can't you understand? Can't you understand? And I had to learn to be patient with them. When they're ready, it's their time to understand. Yeah. And I think they're still they're still going through that. Mm-hmm. Um, they recently they sent me a text yesterday just saying we love you so much, and that is the best words you can hear. Just to know that they support you. They may not totally understand it yeah. or get it. So now, what is your day to day life like now? Day to day life routine. Routine is Look, key. Your eye, her eye, yeah. you can't see it, but her yeah, eyes just lit yeah. up when she used the word routine. <laughs> routine is crucial if you're bipolar. You want to stick yeah. to a routine, and it gets hard the days I go off. Like doing this tour that I'm doing right now, I just make sure I get the exercise in. I don't okay. get it in necessarily in the morning. And is it running? Is that your primary exercise? Uh, um, bar. I love the new okay. bar classes yep. that they offer, or Soul Cycle. I like to mix it up. Today I'll run Central Park, so I'm like. Looking forward to that at the end of the day. But routine, eating right. Um, Yesterday I had an ice cream sandwich, and I know that it's probably not the best thing, but you still have to indulge. And sugars, I love sugars because they bring me out of content, settled to a little higher. So I've realized why I've liked sugars my whole life. It just gives you a little boost. Um, I'm supposed to stay away from caffeine. Um, And just getting Eight hours at least sleep every night. It's That's crucial. Got to be so challenging, though, especially on a week like this where sleeping we're working around the clock. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I have to have sleeping pills when I travel. I'm at a three hour difference, yep. West Coast to East Coast. It's crucial. So being able to monitor all these things, having my husband, you know, on the phone looking for signs if you know. Maybe I'm depressed or I'm overly happy or, you know, I'm sounding too manic to him. So he can watch for these signs, even at home. He's not babysitting me, though. Um, I'm living my life, but he's also helping me to be there, and, you know, encouraging me, making sure, did you exercise today? I'm like, listen, that is not a problem to exercise because yeah. that's a little sample of the drug to make me high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Some people, you know, have a hard time working out. That's the blessing of bipolar for me is I can't get enough exercise yeah, in a day. Because of, of that endorphin thing. Yeah. 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 But the doctors are also cautious. Too much exercise in excess is a bad thing. If I'm going out to walk four hours a day, which I would love to do, I'm trying too hard to bring the yeah, manic so it's really state. Any of those extremes ha- have to be accounted for and right. monitored. But I, I crave that four-hour exercise, going out for a walk, jog for four hours. Right. So wow. isn't that amazing how I'm still, you're still trying to get out of settled content, even though it is good and you know it's good for you. Yeah, you know, I, I know that from a number of people who have had a mental illness, they receive the help they need, they get on the drugs, it levels them out, and they're there is a part of them that's just sad. I mean, they're just right. bummed that now I'm uh, I'm level, 
And it was so much more exciting right. and interesting in a way. I think, the other way, right? I think for me, having that athletic background, being so driven, also has helped me in my recovery and my bipolar because I'm driven to get better. Yeah, that's interesting. You take it on like anything else. Yeah, like I took my athleticism in being ranked in the world to my escorting of trying to be ranked in the escort. It, you can see the transition of the two worlds, how they came together as bizarre as it is. And I admit, my story is bizarre. And by no means do I ever want to blame my bipolar on my escorting. I never want to be known as she's looking for this as an excuse or she's the victim. Because I don't believe at all I'm a victim. I knew exactly what I was doing. But what got me there was the Zoloft and being misdiagnosed. Yeah, because I've read that that... That does something, it almost exacerbates this manic stage, right? right? Zoloft with somebody who is bipolar, and I didn't know at the time I was bipolar, causes hypersexuality. Just oh, it's Google. actual, it's an actual? Yes, okay. it's an actual symptom that people aren't aware of. So if somebody's behavior is changing in this way, and they possibly have bipolar and ours on Zoloft. That's why it's communication is important with your doctor. Well, let me ask you a question from that. Mm-hmm. Do you look back and get a little annoyed with whomever you were, whomever's care you were in that had prescribed the Zoloft and had presumably seen you on a regular basis? Well, I think, I, I think annoyed wouldn't be the word, <laughs> word, but it's frustrating. But at the same time, I understand because some doctors, maybe they aren't getting the right education to ask the right questions. You know, my doctor at UCLA, I was talking to her about that, and she said, oh, absolutely, we always, um, you know, that's something that yeah, you require. When you prescribe that, you yeah. have to ask the following questions. Are I, you da 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 So I think certain medical care is ahead than others. And that's another good thing why I'm sharing my story is to make that awareness. You know, I was given a new drug in a matter of 10 minutes. You know, that's another unfortunate thing that doctors have such limited time. Um, But I do think that is a key question that the book can help is ask, what is your history? What is your history? You know, what are you experiencing? Exactly. What has changed since the last time I saw you? Is there a grandparent or somebody yeah. in the family that maybe had some mental health issues or bizarre behaviors? Right, yeah. right. All right. Well, this has been this has been wonderful. I thank you so very much, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank and, you. Uh, and the greatest success in articulating this and expanding the conversation. Thank you. And I think it's important because I want to thank you for giving me this platform to be able to share the story. That's been a gift that I've gotten, and not everybody gets that opportunity. So I've been lucky enough to write this book and given the opportunity to help educate and spread this awareness and take away that stigma, and that has definitely been a gift. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This episode was edited by Kat Theck with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents, and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from the leading figures across books, culture, and the arts, all brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.